Many people, this is not uncommon for people to be placed in the chair, the control chair, and taught how to fly the craft. And there's also a very strong spiritual aspect to onboard encounters. People are taught about healing. They're taught about past lives or astral travel or channeling or all kinds of really wonderful spiritual subjects. And that's when I started to reverse my opinions. I'm like, well, you know, this isn't bad at all. This is actually really nice. Hi, and welcome to Ascension Talk with Jenny. This is part one out of two with Preston Dennett. The next episode will be next week. And today we will talk about onboard encounters, uh, different UFO experiences, but also different beings and missing time. And also Preston's own experience, how he got into this field and his own experiences with different encounters and different beings and sightings. Enjoy. Hi and welcome to my show, Preston. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing really good. Yeah, I'm excited. This yeah. is going to be fun. Oh, and for everyone, uh, can you, instead of me trying to introduce you, <laughs> so our connection <laughs> is uh, through Christine Dennett, and uh, that's your sister-in-law, and I'm so happy and thankful to her for introducing me to uh, uh, us, or like connecting us, so could you, because I want to talk a little bit more about that as well, because she's worked a lot with you in terms of the drawing and research as well. So can you, yeah, just like kind of summarize a little bit who you are and what you do? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. I am the fifth of six children and uh, grew up in a family that I thought was pretty skeptical of UFOs. Certainly I was. I did not believe in really anything paranormal. And it uh, all changed in 1986. I remember it vividly. I heard about a sighting over Alaska on the news. And it intrigued me. It interested me. I thought, oh, my gosh, this pilot who saw a UFO, he's got to be misperceiving or lying or hallucinating. I mean, but he was a commercial pilot. And uh, it, I remember my brother, actually, Christie's husband, Mark, <laughs> had said he'd seen a UFO. And I'm like, Mark, you know, you saw a UFO, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I told you. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't believe you then. <laughs> and so he described this incredible sighting he had with his two friends. I'm like, what? You weren't alone? I kind of assumed anyone who saw a UFO was alone. And I was like, no, no, my friends Greg and Phil were there. We saw this metallic craft. It had a sort of superstructure on top, colored lights, totally silent. It was very close to them. And they actually chased it for several miles. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So that's how it all kind of started for me. And I'm like, wow, how many people do I know who've seen UFOs? And I started asking everybody. And I got a big, big shock when I found out that I knew many people who had, had actually really extensive encounters. And... Uh, Gosh, maybe a quart, you know, 25% of the people I knew, 30, 40% even, had had some type of encounter. People at work, where, you know, people I loved and trusted, and I knew they weren't lying. I'm like, okay, something is going on here. Let's check out some books and see if I can disprove this. And I got another shock. Turned out this subject was taken very seriously, had been studied for decades. 
and uh, there was a government cover-up. Uh, all of this stuff just completely left me breathless and just torn. I mean, I, I felt a little scandalized, really. This was not taught in schools. It wasn't taken seriously by the media. And I had to really readjust my whole worldview. I, for some reason, became obsessed with the subject. Uh, did not really think I was involved personally. But now hmm, I'm kind of reversing my opinion on that because uh, I've, you know, I started investigating cases, interviewing people. Uh, I joined all the UFO groups. I became a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON. And uh, just one thing led to another. Before I knew it, I was writing articles, uh, started appearing on the radio, going to conventions, and then suddenly I'm getting asked to speak. <laughs> Uh, and after about, I think it was 10 years of research, I put out my first book and uh, just never looked back. I've been putting out a lot of books since then. How was, many How many 19... books have you done? Um, gosh, I'm almost embarrassed to say. <laughs> um, yeah, 1996 was when I put out my first book, which was called UFO Healings. And uh, started putting that amount out a book about once or a year or so, maybe once every couple of years. Uh, now I've got, let's see, 27, 27 books on uh, <laughs> UFOs and uh, all kinds of paranormal subjects as well. That's They're great. all connected in some way. That's, oh, that's amazing. So, that's amazing. So in yeah. the beginning, uh, so because you've done a lot of stuff, like, you know, you've been had a lot of different jobs as well which i think is great and you you seem so curious but where does that curiosity come from does it come from your, your family <laughs> uh yeah yeah I, I i've always been very interested in science and just knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge and uh finding out ufos were real really upended my whole worldview. And uh, I don't know why I became so obsessed with the subject, but I really wanted to know the truth. I want to know the truth about things. And uh, it's not, I'm not satisfied just to read about it. I want to see it myself. So uh, I was out in the fields camping out where people said they were seeing UFOs. I wanted to see them myself. And uh, same with ghosts. I'm like, what? You, you had a ghost encounter? Really? <laughs> so I was going to haunted houses and I started doing ghost investigations. And I read about out-of-body experiences. I'm like, wow, you, people can do this? I'm like, let's try this. So, yeah, I always like to dive into the deep end and really immerse myself in whatever I'm studying. Uh, so, I, I don't know, I've always kind of been that way. As a very young kid, I was always very curious, always kind of getting into things and always been kind of, had a spiritual bent, you know, listening to the wind and climbing trees and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, it's just been a, a journey. And uh, the UFO subject is so vast and so complicated and got, has layers and layers to it that it's just really opened up my eyes to a whole new world. So in 1986, you mentioned, do you call it MUFON? M-U-F-O-N. You, did you co uh, contact them to be like kind of an investigator or did you start it? Like, I, I don't know too much about it. I'm quite new myself. Yeah. yeah the Mutual UFO Network is probably the world's largest citizen yeah. UFO research organization. 
It has chapters, all, you know, in every state in the United States and all across the world. Uh, and uh, they have conventions and meetings. And uh, I started attending the L.A. MUFON here in Los Angeles. And I'm like, wow, you can become a field investigator. Okay. You have to take a test. I'm like, this should be interesting. And, it, and I found out it was a take-home test. I'm like, well, that's going to be easy, a take-home test. Uh, there was no internet in those days, but you know, there were libraries and stuff. So I got the test, and it was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. Uh, the UFO history part was pretty easy for me because by then I had bought like 50 or 100 books. I mean, I have a room filled with books now on UFOs. Uh, but there was a lot of questions on photography, on meteorology, astronomy, uh, psychology even, all kinds of questions that were actually pretty difficult. But I, I studied and studied and I did really well. And yeah, I became a field investigator. And that's when I really started buckling down and recording interviews with people and trying to figure out what's, you know, is our planet being invaded by aliens? I can't believe this. And I was not happy at first. I mean, I, I, this was a pretty bewildering subject. I'm like, gosh, people are being abducted, kidnapped against their will. This is horrific. I don't, I don't know if I like this. Uh, but I since kind of not completely reversed my opinions about the subject, but I'm certainly not afraid of UFOs. I don't think they're here to take over. I don't think they're here to scare people or hurt people. And I think if you look at the evidence objectively, it's actually very encouraging. Um, I think this is a very good thing for humanity. <laughs> and uh, we are very lucky that we're not alone in the universe. And uh, ET seem to be very, very interested in us. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm absolutely encouraged about what actually happens when someone's taken on board a UFO. And in terms of the MUFON, like what I meant, like are there different branches in different states, and can you can you create one yourself? Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, you can do yeah. that. Yeah, okay, cool. And yeah, is that absolutely. just for America, or is it all around the world? It's all around the world. Oh, okay, um, I think pretty much. Yeah, most major countries do have uh, MUFON. Yep. organizations, chapters, I guess you might call them. Mm -hmm. Like California, where I live, is a rather large state. I think there's at least four or five groups here. Uh, you know, one in San Diego, a couple here in the L.A. area, one in Northern California. And, uh, yeah, you can absolutely uh, become a field investigator and form your own group. And there are state section directors. Uh, it's a very sort of federalized organization with a leadership at the top and have their monthly journal. And uh, yeah, it's a great organization. I support it. It's not without its problems. This is a very controversial field. And uh, there are things that come up uh, in that regard. With but Yeah, I absolutely uh, do support MUFON. Mm -hmm. I'm still a member. Yeah, I, I just found it. Yeah, it's good to have something, and people can reach out to and have a look as well when they start their journey. 
Um, yeah, but I would like to ask you a little bit about the terminology, like, you know, alien, UFO, uh, hybrids, and, and then maybe go over into different beings, if that's okay with you. Could you just, like, for people, because I got listeners that are kind of new to all of this, <laughs> uh, new and a little bit more experienced, like, for example, me, like, I've always had contact all my life, ever since I was eight. But last year, I was like, oh, what, what's a hybrid? <laughs> I had no clue. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah. and what is a, what's a UFO? What's an alien? What's a hybrid? And could you go through that a little bit, please? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, uh, well, UFO, for me, is an extraterrestrial craft. I, I know that there are different theories to explain UFOs. Um, some people think there might be psychic projections type of things, uh, or you know, even angelic or demonic or what have you. I think if you look at the evidence for UFOs, uh, the extraterrestrial theory is the one that fits best, because what we have are craft that appear on radar. Um, they've been photographed and filmed. There's many, many multiple witness cases involving people of very high level of credibility, really from every level of government, from presidents, governors, representatives, senators, I mean, you name it. Um, and yeah, generals and captains and so on. Uh, the military across the world is very familiar with this subject. They know it's real and they have since at least the early 1940s. Uh, the evidence is involves all kinds of stuff like landing trace cases. There are thousands of cases where UFOs will leave burned circles on the ground or radiation readings or crushed grass. Or, uh, there's uh, medical evidence. People will be struck by a beam of light perhaps, uh, which might perhaps heal them or perhaps um, cause some sort of injury such as uh, I would say like eye, eye strain or uh, sort of sunburn, perhaps, uh, but animal reaction cases, uh, they can affect all kinds of uh, electromagnetic machines, such as turning off cars or making your radio static or your television. Uh, so there's a really wide variety of evidence. I don't think people realize how much truly, I mean, there's mountains of evidence. Anyone who doesn't believe in UFOs it's really not done their homework. I think anyone who objectively examines the evidence that's in the public arena um, has to come away convinced that there is definitely something to this. And uh, what I became most interested in is people who've had direct contact. Uh, because initially this field was all about, hey, let's just record these sightings. This is interesting. And pretty soon these craft were landing. People were reporting seeing uh, humanoids, I guess you would call them, beings, Pe people like us, but looking a little different. So that's a humanoid. And yes. Hum yeah. And yeah. there's many different types. Generally speaking, people report um, the human form. By that, I mean, you know, arms and legs, <laughs> eyes, mouth. Uh, and uh, it's basically the humanoid form is pretty much universal. Um, that's kind of what kept me out of the UFO field. I thought it was a little bit too much like Star Trek, and I wasn't sure I believed it. It's a documentary, uh, <laughs> Star Wars and Star <laughs> Trek. 
but it's absolutely true. This is what people are seeing. And uh, most people, in my experience, and I think this is borne out by the research of other people, will see some, and there's different types for sure, but grays, what we know as grays, uh, is probably the most common type, which are described as generally shorter than the average human. Uh, I would say anywhere from three feet to five feet tall, large, dark eyes, very small facial features in terms of nose and mouth and ears. Uh, often they wear a jumpsuit or perhaps uh, it's so skin tight, it doesn't even look like they're dressed at all. Uh, but it's, I would say 50% at least, maybe up to 70%, see some variation of what we would call the grays. And uh, they can be sort of clinical and uh, very sort of serious and not too emotional or very loving, very emotional. So you have a real bell curve of that sort of thing. Uh, but beyond grays, I would say the ne next most common category would be human looking. People who look very much like us, if not pretty much exactly, except perhaps more genetically, I don't want to say perfect, but very beautiful, very muscular, and uh, in all races, by the way, I've heard you know, dark-skinned, human-looking ones, you know, semi-light-skinned, white, you know, the whole variation that we see here in the human race. And beyond the grays and the human-looking, I'd say the next most common would be praying mantis, the mantids. And that kind of shocked me. I'm like, mantids? You know, praying mantis, why, why that? I mean, there's so many animals on Earth. Why would they resemble one sort of insect, uh, but this is what we're getting. These are the reports that were coming in. And the praying mantis are described as usually very tall. Um, six feet would be on the lower end. Uh, usually it's more like eight to nine feet, but can be considerably taller than that, even tw 10, 12, and in outline cases up to 15 feet tall. I remember my first case like that. I'm like, wow, are you sure? And the witnesses was a medic, I mean, a Navy medic, a really good trained observer. He's like, I'm telling you, I, I'm almost six feet tall. They were more than twice my height. And uh, I put that story out and I got a lot of response from other people who'd seen that same sort of 15 foot tall praying mantis. And what kind of and mission the, do they have here? Yeah, I think they're very, very intelligent. Um, they're sort of the watchers. They are recording everything. They're watching us very, very closely. Um, and the contactees I've spoken to who have encountered them have said that they can speak any language on Earth and are, are in contact with the major governments. At least some witnesses have been told this. And have been watching us for a very long time, but particularly since we started exploding nuclear weapons. Uh, this is, you know, the modern age of UFOs began in 1947. And that was when the, there was the Roswell crash in New Mexico. That was when there was the Kenneth Arnold sighting in Washington, which really sort of popularized the term flying saucer. And there was a huge super wave of sightings, which spread across the United States and the world. And ever since 1947, we've had waves and waves of sightings, um, a slow and steady escalation of contact, uh, Hundreds of thousands of people are seeing UFOs. I think it's much, much more than that because most people don't report it. 
And what's very interesting is the modern age of UFOs, uh, which is 1947, pretty much coincides exactly with the nuclear age. So I think that's what brought these guys in in large numbers. We know UFOs have been around forever. We know this because of petroglyphs and hieroglyphs from Egyptian culture and Middle Age wood carvings and Renaissance paintings and Native American cultures, indigenous cultures across the world talk about star beings coming down. And many believe that we are related to them or they are our ancestors. Uh, so, yes, there's many different types. I'd say there's another category that's just a sort of a catch-all. There's very short humanoids, hairy dwarves, there's light beings, there's tall whites, you know, 10 feet tall, gray-type beings, uh, and many, many just unique, uniquely described figures. One lady contacted me because she's like, have you ever heard of this? And she described this uh I believe it's 12 foot tall humanoid with a very broad chin, a huge forehead, large eyes, um, and kind of straw like orange hair that stuck straight up. But otherwise, it was basically human looking. I'm like, well, I, could, I, I couldn't tell her I had ever heard of this. And a good category, just, I guess, what we would call unique humanoids. It's a vast, vast universe out there. There's a a lot of beings that are coming and visiting us at this time. For whatever reason, it seems to be a very crucial time for humanity. And uh, actually, the ETs have said as much. Um, and they said that we're on the brink of possibly destroying our planet. And this is the number one message people get beyond, you know, don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. Come with us. If they can overcome their fear. Um, they're often you know, not paralyzed when they're taken on board a craft. They're taken to another room and given warnings about nuclear proliferation or pollution or earth changes or our warlike ways. Or they're taken to the engine room and literally told how the craft works, which is usually somewhere along electromagnetic lines, you know, something along those lines. Many people, this is not uncommon for people to be placed in the chair or the control chair and taught how to fly the craft. And there's also a very strong spiritual aspect to onboard encounters. People are taught about healing. They're taught about past lives or astral travel or channeling or all kinds of really wonderful spiritual subjects. And that's when I started to reverse my opinions. I'm like, well, you know, this isn't bad at all. This is actually really nice. And I have to tell you, the people I talk to have had onboard encounters are, generally speaking, super psychic. They're super enlightened people. They're very, very kind. And uh, I'm like, well, who's having contact? You know, what type of person is being contacted? And uh, I did find some patterns. It's pretty evenly divided between men and women. That does not seem to be a factor. It's not age. It's not where you live. It's not your religion or your political affiliations. It's none of that. The real pattern I found was, well, two things. One, it does seem to be following family lines. If your parents have had encounters, likely you will too, or your, and your children. It does seem to sort of track generations. But beyond that, it's people, this was so interesting to me, it's people who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity. And by that I mean the 
people who are in contact are doctors, they're inventors, they're environmentalists, they're social workers, they're artists, they're writers, they're teachers, police officers, entertainers. And you know that sort of pattern, it's a, a loose pattern, but it keeps turning up over and over again. I'm like, wow, this again, I think speaks towards who these beings are and why they're here. They're contacting you know, musicians. Oh, they love musicians. Uh, these are all people who are having a strong influence on humanity's spiritual progress. And I think that's really good news. Very true. Like uh, I can really <laughs> agree with you, Preston. I was wondering if you could share a little bit more if you have had any experience yourself, because we talked a little bit before we started this about dream and reality. Sometimes it's like some people want concrete physical proof. Sometimes you see any connecting dreams and sometimes through channeling. And so, yeah, could you, yeah, could you, yeah, <laughs> share a little bit more yeah, about your own? Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny when I first started investigating UFOs, I had a real strong spiritual awakening as well and uh, started remembering past lives, started having out-of-body experiences, precognition and all of this. And I'm like, well, gosh, you know, why am I so interested in this? Have I had any encounters? And I scoured my past looking like, well, gosh, I don't see any incidents of missing time. You know, I just, hmm, I don't know. But um, as soon as I started really investigating, I did start having encounters. And it was shocking to me. I remember, uh, gosh, it was just a couple of years into my research. I think this was around 1992 or so. I was over at uh, my brother's house, Mark and uh, Christine, because <laughs> uh, she was really helping me a lot through all this. And she's had encounters herself. It took her a while to tell me that. <laughs> but she eventually did uh, tell me about her encounters as a little little girl. And... Uh, I'm, I was just out of my mind with this subject, trying to wrap my head around it. And I remember I was like, all right, it's getting late, guys. I got to drive home. I've got to work tomorrow. I've got to got to go. It, it was late July 1992, I think. And I'm driving away from their house to, to where I lived, which was, you know, five miles away. And driving very slowly. It was a tight little, you know, uh, residential street. And I'm coming around this hairpin corner. When uh, what I thought at first was a bird came swooping down from about 300 feet high towards my car. And I instantly looked up and I saw, well, that's not a bird. Maybe it's a firecracker <gasps> uh, because, you know, it's late July. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's fireworks. Uh, but it clearly wasn't because it was a ball of light. It was a small ball of light about the size of a golf ball, or maybe a little larger. And this darn thing comes swooping down in front of my windshield and stops. <laughs> and it was, I'm not kidding, uh, two feet away maybe, even closer, a foot. Right in front of my windshield, it goes back and forth, back and forth, two, maybe three times, stops, and shoots straight up. And you know, that's all I remember. I don't remember going home. <laughs> I actually forgot about it. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't remember it myself. I think I had missing time. It took me a couple of years to sort of come to that conclusion. Because uh, I always would tell people, like, yeah, I had this sighting, and it was this ball of light, and that's where I would leave it. But one day I remembered, like, you know, I don't even remember going home. 
And, and that's weird because I would have subsequent sightings and I always would like, oh, wow, talk about it immediately afterwards. I'd write it down. I'd call everyone up. I'm like, I saw a UFO. <laughs> and uh, yeah, following that, started seeing them fairly regularly once every couple of years. Uh, often it would be like after I'd contacted a contactee, you know, and I'd be interviewing them. And, and uh, like one instance, one of my best sightings, I'd was interviewing this lady who was just having crazy experiences and just the full gamut of them. I mean, full on hybrids. I didn't get into the hybrids, half human, half ET. Um, I started getting cases like that from the very beginning. That's one of the alien agendas, particularly the greys. They're reinvigorating the race. They are mixing their DNA with ours to sort of, they're basically human, but they've sort of been genetically damaged. And uh, so they're trying to, reinvigorate their genetics uh, and uh, I was interviewing you know transcribing this lady's interview and I'm like gosh I wonder if she's telling the truth I knew she, I kind of knew she was I mean I'd interviewed her face to face she was a lovely woman she actually lives in Australia uh, oh, right now cool. and uh, <laughs> I'm like gosh I wonder I wonder I wonder because her story was so amazing and I got this really strong impulse to run to the roof <laughs> of my condo and I couldn't resist it. I'm like, wow, you know, what am I doing? I grabbed my glasses. I'm slightly nearsighted. And uh, ran under the roof of the condo, condominium complex. I lived on the third story. And you're not supposed to go on the roof. It's against the rules. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I, I, I'm a good guy. I don't go up there. Why would I? Uh, and uh, couldn't resist. Ran under the roof. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing here? This is ridiculous. When suddenly this UFO appears. It was this bright orange orb, a globe. It was fairly large. I couldn't quite tell, but it was looked like it was right across the street to me. This fiery orange orb. And it blasted me with a telepathic message. And boy, that was a surprise because I've never had anything like that happen to me. And it said, hi, it's us. I'll call her Wendy. We're Wendy's ETs. You didn't believe? Well, watch this. And not in those words exactly, but the message was clear. I mean, it was really cl crystal clear. It's us. You don't believe? Huh? <laughs> Watch this. And this thing starts darting around, back, back and forth, really spectacularly in what I would call non-conventional movements, right angles, actually much more acute angles than right, doing things no balloon or plane or you know, anything can do. And that was such an amazing sighting. It was very brief, and uh, maybe 30 seconds. I was breathless. I fell back. I'm like, wow. I ran downstairs. I, I think I called her up immediately. I'm like, Wendy, you're not going to believe it. Your ETs came to say hi to me and prove that you were telling the truth. It's like, I told you I was telling the truth. What do you mean? I'm like, wow. You know, I, I mean, I know, I know. But I just... Yeah, and she ended up showing me a UFO again. And uh, since then, yeah, fairly regularly they'll show up. Like after I've written a book, <laughs> almost like a congratulatory sighting. Like say, hey, good job. Or if I like don't write a book for a year, they'll show up like, get to writing. <laughs> get. And I do feel like I have a mission. At the, sort of, I do feel like I'm very strongly driven to get the word out about the ET presence on our planet.
And thank you for that. <laughs> To uh, yeah, for from all of us, and 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 what kind of uh, ETs or uh, were contacting you? Do you know what kind? Uh, I believe you know. Well, moving forward, I've more recently been having very powerful what I would call UFO dreams, and having Please interviewed. Tell. <laughs> Please tell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> having interviewed a lot of people, uh, that's one of my questions. I'm like, so tell me about your dreams. Uh, because that's a very strong indication. There's a whole list of questions I ask. Like, have you seen orbs of light? Do, do, have you had missing time? Do you have a strong emotional reaction to this subject? Have you had any unexplained healings? <laughs> uh, and all of these are like, check, 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 uh, red flags. And uh, yeah, I started having UFO dreams. And more recently, like, I had a dream where I came upon this, thought I was visiting somewhere, uh, like a hotel or something. I found myself in this room. And I'm looking around, I'm like, well, this is strange. These walls are metal. Like, where could this be? And I looked at the walls, and I'm like, wow, they're curved. Look at that. The floor, you know, is level, of course, but the, it curved right up into the ceiling. Or, I mean, up into the wall, and the wall curved into the ceiling. And I'm like, whoa, that's the same thing I've heard <laughs> from other people. And this guy walks up to me, and I had to look up at him. He was eight feet tall, maybe seven, eight feet tall, wearing a white sort of outfit, and very kind, and very just wise. And I mean, just the energy coming off of him was like, wow, you are wonderful. <laughs> And I couldn't see his face. I could not focus on his face, no matter how hard I tried. And I thought that was so, so interesting to me because I've had so many people tell me that. Like, you know, I can't really tell you what they look like. I had a really hard time seeing what they looked like. And now I know what they're talking about. And yeah, I was allowed to wander around the craft. I was very polite. I kept my hands, you know, clasped behind my back. I didn't want to fuss into anything. But, uh, Part of the wall turned transparent, and I could see outside into this water area. That was another like, wow, I've had this described to me so many times. When someone's inside a UFO, it's not like windows, like we would describe them with a frame. Just the wall will turn tra transparent. And, and sometimes the entire craft, people are just like, oh, I'm floating in space. It was like Wonder Woman's jet. It was just like floating in space. And uh, that's sort of what happened to me. And this was all very dreamlike, but super sort of lucid, I guess you might call it. And I woke up and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is incredible. I think I had a UFO dream. And, uh, yeah, I, I think they are aware of me. I know they are. Because I, I once asked a contactee to go on TV. She's like, sure, I'll do it. You know, it's a public access channel pretty small little program and she called me up a couple of days before we were supposed to do the you know the shoot I guess and she's like no I can't go on the ETs came and they don't really want any publicity right now so uh, that made me realize like ooh they're watching us very closely and little things like that began to happen that made me realize you no know, I would have a sighting and uh, they were talking to me like that I'm like well gosh on some level I think <gasps> I'm a contactee. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and that was thrilling when I 
kind of came to that realization, like on some level, I am having contact, maybe not the level of like the people I interview, but it's starting to ramp up now and I'm super excited. Thank you so much for tuning in to my show today and all the links to Preston and what we talked about today will be on my website ascensiontalk.com and head over to the blog there and this is episode number nine and next week will be episode number 10 and then we talk more about USOs or the undersea UFO bases, uh, healing on board ships and um, also marks and abduction marks and much much more thank you for your support and thank you for all the feedback i get and you're more than welcome to email me it's ascension talk podcast at gmail.com and if you are a experiencer yourself and have a story to tell let me know there as well and email me or you can go to ascensiontalk.com i got the contact there and yeah thank you and until next time please ground yourself heal yourself catch you soon bye